tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Boy, have we got obscure stuff today. Oh, boy. Well, let's, let's just start praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I should say St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us, and especially for bishops. All right, let's... let's. Yeah, he was a great reformer. The voice in my head just reminded me. And uh, we got to pray for the bishops. All right, this is the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo, but I'm using the, um, the readings uh, from the, for, of the day from the uh, site, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops site, because so I, I want to continue in the letter of the Philippians um, that we've been studying. So, it starts, Join with others in being imitators of me, brothers and sisters. You know, I always complain about they put brothers and sisters in. Well, this one is actually there, so I, I won't complain, except I will complain. In the text, it's just brothers. But that was the inclusive term as far as they were concerned. And of course, it doesn't work for us. We have to put in brothers and sisters because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, of course. Uh, moving along, where was I? Oh, yeah, it, be imitators of me. Let's look at what he really says. He he says, uh, "Fellow imitators of become fellow imitators of me." It's kind of a hard word to to, uh, um, to to translate in English, but it, we get the word "mimic" from the basic word. "Mimitai" means an imitator, and "simimitai" means um, it it means mutual imitators with me, brothers and sisters and sisters. So there we go. Just so you know. It's actually in the text that brothers. All right, observe those who conduct themselves. Now, this is kind of interesting uh, because what it is here, uh, it's it, it instead of conduct, it's the word it's the word uh, to walk to walk about. And I, I've told you about uh, halakhic law. Jews talk about halakha and halakhic law uh, that um, it means to walk. The, the word to walk in Hebrew is halak, um, and and 
halakhic means it's the law of how you should conduct yourself in the world, how you should walk. But when you see St. Paul talking about walking, uh, uh, he has prepared good works for us that we might walk in them. He's talking, I think, specifically as a Pharisee, as a, as a Jew, that, that, that this idea of, of conducting ourselves according to Scripture, according to God's law. And, and what he's saying is that halakhic law in, in uh, rabbinic Phariseeism has to do with, well, you don't eat that, you don't wear this. For instance, you just shouldn't wear uh, wool and cotton together or wool and linen together. You don't want to combine uh, the only place that uh, animal fibers and uh, vegetable fibers are combined is in the high priest's belt. I mean, you got to know that. I mean, St. Paul is saying the Messiah has come and we've moved into a new phase and our halakhic law is Christ. We look at him and what he has said and what he's done, and that's how we walk in the world. So uh, the imitators of me and the text says, conduct yourself. Well, he says, he's saying walk. Uh, uh, so according to the model you have in us, um, it's, it's to me, it's, it's a particularly beautiful uh, idea that, that, uh, He's telling them that conduct yourselves according to Christ, as, as I've tried to do. Now, this is very interesting. Many I have told you, and now tell you even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. How come you Catholics still have a crucifix? Jesus rose from the dead. Enemies of the cross of Christ? And I'm not saying that people that are necessary enemies, necessarily enemies of the cross of Christ, but there's a danger there. When we forget the, the cross, Jesus said, where I am, my followers will also be. And in that, I think he was talking about the cross. I remember when I was pastor of a parish in a very poor neighborhood in Chicago, and there were all these, uh, we had a group called, uh, well, I don't want to get too specific, but there was a very progressive group that had run the parish who weren't really that happy that I'd been made pastor because by then I was starting to be not quite as progressive as I had once been. So, um, we got a, somebody sent a bunch of stuff from a church or a convent, I think, that was closed. And it was some old-fashioned 19th century art, religious art. There's a beautiful statue of the Blessed Mother. And there was a very large and very heavy cross that, it wasn't graphically gory, uh, but it was, it was, it was a, the cross looked like uh, wood logs and, Jesus was clearly crucified on it. The image, uh, crown of thorns and the, the lance piercing the side. It wasn't terribly gory, as I said, but it was a crucifix. And I hung it right across from the dining room table, thinking, well, maybe looking at the Lord and his sufferings, I might lose some weight. But um, the the progressive types, I remember one who was uh, one of our ministers of care. We had all sorts of ministers of care, a young woman who's a very fine woman, very devoted to what she did, but she came and she looked at that cross and she went, ooh, horrible. And I thought, enemies of the cross of Christ? And, you know, this is a very subtle thing that, that, that when we forget that our religion is joyful, not in spite of the cross, but because of the cross. And, you know, Mass is the unbloody representation of Calvary. It's, it's not a new sacrifice. I always say it's a time tunnel 
that takes us back to Calvary, where we stand with the Blessed Mother and St. John and St. Mary Magdalene. So there are all sorts of people who want a more upbeat religion, you know. Um, you can't get more upbeat on a profound level than the cross. It is it is our our great sorrow and our great joy at the same time. We 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 look at Christ on the cross and and as Saint Paul says here, weep, but we also rejoice that God so loved us. All right, their end is destruction. Their goal, their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. This word shame comes from a Greek word that means disfigurement. And uh, Greeks, ancient Greeks, really did believe that the way you looked externally somehow was a reflection of your internal looks. I've met some very good-looking people who are about as deep as a puddle, but I've met some people who, well, like Abraham, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, was uh, not considered one of the best-looking men in American history. Um, in fact, as he was, people said, I've never seen an uglier man. Uh, a woman apparently was on a train with Lincoln and she kept kind of looking and then looking away. And he said, ma'am. And, uh, she said, you are the ugliest person I've ever seen. And he said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. He said, at least you could stay home. <laughs> Another person said, uh, I think it was actually Stephen Douglas who shouted out, Lincoln, you're two-faced. And Lincoln responded by saying, you think if I had another face, I'd be wearing this one? So Lincoln took the insults very well. But he was a man of, of great depth and ultimately a uh, uh, great beauty of life, uh, who was not good looking. So I disagree with the Greeks in that. However, this word shame uh, um, means something that is ugly. And I think we need to understand that, that sin is ugly. The devil is very, very ugly. So uh, their glory is in their disfigurement. They glory in their disfigurements. Their minds are occupied with earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, he will change our lowly body to conform to his glorified body by the power that enables him uh, to bring all things into subjection. So... Uh, I think this is a, a very um, timely message that, that uh, if you don't love the cross uh, and Christ crucified, I always remind you that even people say, how come, well, you go, okay, put a cross in, but Jesus rose from the dead. Why is he still got him crucified in church? Don't forget that he carried the cross even in his resurrection. Uh, he, he had the marks of the nails in his hands and feet and the wound in his side. He carried his crucifixion, even in his resurrection, because his crucifixion was the moment of glory. And later today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the crucifixion in a very strange and oblique way. Uh, all right, let's go to the gospel reading. This is, this is a reading that makes everyone crazy. And uh, I, I just learned something new about it. Jesus said to his disciples, this, of course, is Luke, the 16th chapter, the first verse and following. A rich man had a steward who was reporting for squandering his property. Now, this word is, is not slave. It, I think if I should have looked it up, but I think the word is oikonomos, which was the, the steward of the house. He had a full authority to to um, uh, take care of his master's possessions. Uh, so... Uh, I think that that's, that's kind of important. Now, this, I think he, 
he's he's called he, he probably was a slave or a freedman, but um, he was he was a man who he had the checkbook he could sign checks he was he was not just nobody uh, and this parable really upsets people because it sounds like Jesus is saying you know he robbed his master good for him that's of course not what Jesus is saying I maintain that like many of the parables this is a very funny story um, and. I, I I think I have a little bit more evidence for that. All right, uh, um, yeah, this is this is the word is oikonomos, someone who who runs the house, and give an account of your stewardship. That's we get the word economy from it. So uh, this is uh, really something. Uh, he says, "Now I'm not to dig. I'm unable to beg. I'm ashamed. I know what I will do." When I remove from my stewardship uh, that they may welcome me into their master's homes or into their homes, he called in his master's debtors. To the first, he said, "How much do you owe my master? One hundred measures of olive oil." This is a huge amount of oil. It's, I think, uh, at least eight hundred gallons. You'd have to have a lot of olive trees to produce it. It's, it's an exorbitant amount of of oil. Um, he says, here's your note. Sit down and quickly write one for 50. He had the right to do that, though he could also be jailed by his master. Um, he's saying, it's almost like saying, I owe my master a zillion barrels. I owe your master a zillion barrels of oil. Here, you only owe 50 zillion. It's still a huge amount. Uh, Jesus is dealing with huge amounts. Uh, and then he says, how much wheat? He says, 100 measures of wheat. I'll write one for 80. Uh, still a huge amount of wheat. Now, very interesting. It seems that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. Uh, when King Ezra, or King Artaxerxes of Persia, sent Ezra back to the Holy Land to uh, uh, encourage the rebuilding of things, uh, uh, he sent a letter. And he said, I decree that any Israelites in my kingdom... Uh, including priests and Levites who volunteer to go to Jerusalem may go. And then he goes on to say, Moreover, you're to take with you the silver and gold that the king and his advisors have given to the God of Israel, uh, whose dwellings in Jerusalem, together with all the silver and gold you may obtain in the province of Babylon, as well as the free will offerings of people. Um, uh, let me see where he put it. Oh, gosh. Oh, dear. It's Ezra 7.22. Uh, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Uh, anything else you need for the temple of your God, you're responsible to supply. You may provide from the royal treasury um, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 measures of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of olive oil. So the wheat and the olive oil were the same amounts that King Artaxerxes had given to um, uh, had 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 authorized Ezra to take from the royal treasury. This is significant in the reading. This isn't random. Uh, that that he Jesus is 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 tying this to the temple. And once again, I think this is a funny story uh, because I think he's talking about the corruption of of the high priests. You know, I I don't know the background well enough, but I don't think it can be coincidental. Coincidental. That that um, 
he's talking about the, the corruption of the high priest, and people would have been laughing. Just as when he talked about Lazarus and the poor man, there was a man dressed in fine garments and, uh, and purple, uh, purple and linen, and he had five sons and a, this son-in-law. That's a description of Annas the high priest and his sons and his son-in-law Caiaphas, who were high priests after him in, in succession. So they would have laughed at that because he's pulling the temple, and that's what he does in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has stories about the temple in it a lot. Well, that said, um, everyone says, Well, the master commended the dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. So we should be dishonest? No. We should be as zealous for grace as the world is for money. This is a funny story, and for people to, to kind of try to get more out of it than is in it, that's really kind of foolish. So, well, we'll go to a break, and we're going to come back with some letters, and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. You know what? It's a great time to be Catholic, because we have the message of peace and reconciliation on our lips, or we should anyway. So to the extent that people are antagonized and at each other's throats, it's the perfect scenario. That's our natural habitat as Christians is to be there to try to help with a solution to that. Thank you, Patrick, for you and, and everything your teams at Relevant Radio do to keep some positivity in the airways and on social media. Bringing Christ to the world through the media. Relevant Radio. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Flexible Premium Life Insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. great song. Guantanamera means girl from Guantanamo. And I actually know a girl from Guantanamo who's now older. And uh, I know a lot of people from Guantanamo in that area. And, and when you're in Cuba, just heads up, don't ask this song to be played. <laughs> Anybody who's... Never mind. I don't want to go there. It, it comes with a lot of political baggage. Okay. Moving right along, uh, I wanted to mention something that really alarmed me. Um, uh really really alarmed me that uh, um uh bishop strickland in in tyler texas um uh, was busy praying uh doing spiritual warfare in the public square because apparently i you know i i, I don't want to go into it too graphically but uh, a satanic church a temple of satan was unbaptizing people with an upside down cross and I think in some cases you get a cert an unbaptism certificate, but um, you got this upside down. They had a little kiosk at some public event, uh, and were unbaptizing people. And the thing that really alarmed me was that that you got the upside down cross painted on your forehead, and then you raised your hand and said, "Hail Satan." You know, 
as I tell you, I wasn't an exorcist, but I, I assisted in exorcisms, and I know exorcists. And I wouldn't call exorcisms miraculous. They're supernatural. And people who don't really believe in the supernatural or who think it's a game don't understand that this is very real. If you've ever participated in any way in an exorcism, you don't want to get anywhere near this. And I'm looking at all these people who are inviting demonic possession. Uh, it just alarms me, you know. And I, I think that we, a couple of things, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a sermon here. You know, Jesus said, uh, I believe it was in the 17th chapter. Uh, let me let me pull it up. Uh, they, how will they know uh, that we're, we are uh, his disciples? They shall know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Uh, I really think that we as Christians uh, uh, need to stop and think. We can disagree and still will one another's good. You know, we get so caught up in 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 the argument <laughs> that that we forget that their souls depending on us jesus said in john 13:35 by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another not they'll know you're to my disciples because you have uh, uh, and remember the word disciple means student they'll know that you're my student not because you have correct theology or not because you are solid on this issue or that issue, but by the love that you have for one another. And of course, that word is agape, uh, that, that you're, by your willingness to sacrifice for each other. You know, the real trick is to be able to disagree honestly and lovingly. There's something called the spirit of error. When a person is a spirit of error, well, they really have problems. And you maybe have to... Uh, um, kind of stay away from them. Um, uh, in First John uh, three twenty four. Now he that keeps the commandments abides in him. Uh, uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Uh, by this you shall know that that the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Um, we have so much in common with other other uh, believers he who knows god hears us he who is not of god does not hear us by this we know the spirit of truth and a spirit of error there's such thing as being in error if someone is in error well i'm in error a lot you know uh, that's why i'm so cautious about about saying things infallibly i'm not infallible i'm doing my best to learn i'm a disciple with you but a spirit of error is different now, when I meet someone who's not Catholic, I just was alarmed by the discussion we had last week about sending people to hell because they aren't in my organization. I can't do that, and I don't think the Lord does it. I cherish the gift of the sacraments, and I believe that the Roman Catholic Church is the, is the organization founded by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles. I have no doubt of it, and I think it's historically quite provable. But there are other people who are raised differently or other people who have been affected by by the the lives that some of us lead as Christians. But 
one of the things that this temple of Satan said is, the devil loves you just as you are. How, how you know, if you are f full of sin and shame, to use the biblical word today, ugliness, the devil still loves you. And I, I, I think of Screwtape Letters, the, the, I think it's in the last chapter. He had always, uh, Screwtape always um, uh, signed his letters, I think, your loving uncle Screwtape, when he wrote to Wormwood, he said, Love you? Of course I do. I love you as anyone might love any tasty morsel. Perhaps they will give you a, give me a bit of you now to, to, to feast upon. Yeah, the devil loves you as you are because he will devour you. He doesn't have agape love, but he does have eros. He desires to possess you. And I look at this and I think, are we offering the world something better? When we who are believers argue with one another, I mean, we have to disagree. I mean, that's the human condition. And we have to be willing to to defend what we believe, not just say, ah, oh, this is what's true because I said it, but be able really to understand and in a loving and even humorous way to disagree with people. You know, because we disagree does not mean we don't love each other and can't sit down for a cup of coffee and, and uh, maybe a nosh. You know, we need to be tolerant of one another if this is a person who loves Jesus. You know, enough with the arguing about these things. Um, we can discuss them and we can disagree, but we have to do it with love. I, I don't know. You know. What about the other side? They're not going to love me in my argument. Well, that's okay. You, you be who the Lord wants you to be. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, the love that you have for one another. And, and you, can't get around, you can't get around what Jesus said. He said that. And, and the world needs to know that Christ is alive. And the only way they're going to know that Christ is alive is the kindness that you and I share. The more, the more people argue with us about our position, you know, and I consider myself pretty traditional. The more people argue, the kinder I have to be to them. It's what God is asking of me and of you. All right, that said, let us go to letters. All right, I, I've been dealing with this. Now I'm going to get into the argument. Sure, what's up? This is live, Father. Yes. Um, and you mentioned it a little bit in talking about unbaptism. Baptism is also not something you can erase. Even no, it's not. That, you know, even no. though they might try. Yeah, it's an indelible mark, we believe, and you will. St that's why we take it so seriously. You will stand before God with the water of baptism fresh on your head, and He'll say, "What did you do with the gift?" That's why this is so dangerous. It's so dangerous to to try and be unbaptized is is to try to rip your very soul out. Yeah, it's it's this is a horrible thing. So yeah, thanks, Nick. That that uh, that's something to remind people of. You can't get unbaptized because you can't erase history, uh, and that's an indelible mark, we believe. All right. Well, let's go back to this issue of uh, uh, someone called in yesterday who actually uh, studies this stuff. I think it was a a young woman from California, and uh, I got a letter from Daniel a while ago that he had heard that betrothal at the time of Christ didn't simply mean engaged. That's true. It meant that the couple was married, they're not living together. Not so much. Uh, and the author said it would not have been uncommon for a betrothed couple to have had relations prior to uh, the move-in date. 
That theory was most clearly announced, as our colleague has said, by a fellow named Daniel Ropes. That was his last name. It was first name wasn't Daniel. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Daniel Ropes. It was a French theologian, uh, Henri Daniel Ropes. Uh, he was born in 1901 and died in 1965, and he was a great cause celeb when I was a lad, a great progressive biblical historian, not a clergyman. <clears throat> I believe he was not a clergyman. And uh, he wrote that in his, uh, I think it was in Jesus in His Times, was that it? A dear voice in my head, in Jesus in His Times, which was written, I believe, 1943-44, when France was still occupied by Nazis, very anti-Semitic people. Um, uh, well, Danielle Rope wrote this um, uh, wrote wrote this idea, and I think he was the promulgator of it. That that engagement meant that intimate relations were legal. Well, I called the rabbi, and guess what? The rabbi said, "No way, Hosea." That's the Jewish way of saying "No way, Hosea." I joke. Never mind. Okay, let me see. If, well, I've got my glasses. Just I have to untie them from what they're tied up in. But um, the Ah, uh, good grief. <laughs> okay. Oh, and there are plenty of lines open at 888-919-1164. Oh, that got that wrong. 914-9149. Yeah, this that's is live. it. 888-914-9149. Yeah, that's good. All right. I don't know why anyone listens. I don't even know the phone number. All right. But what happens with an engagement ceremony, it's called a Kiddushin. It's also called an Erosin. And when a young man and a young woman are engaged, it is she is absolutely forbidden to have intimacies with anyone other than, you know, uh, her betrothed. But she's still not allowed to have intimacies with her betrothed. Only after they have been uplifted under the chuppah. A chuppah is a canopy. We use a chuppah for the, uh, for instance, Corpus Christi. A Jew would see uh, see that and and uh, say, oh, that's a chuppah. And there's a marriage contract, and there is the marriage under the chuppah. Rabbi Lazowski told me, no, you do not have, and this is in Talmud, which is uh, a reflection of the beliefs uh, at the time of Christ. Uh Jews did not allow for intimacies before you were married under a chuppah. And that was called a lifting up. Very interesting. Uh, Nisunim, I think it's called. But this is uh, very interesting, the lifting up. This really made me think because Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And uh, uh, one of the words... Uh, for the marriage was a lifting up. Let me let me pull this up in Hebrew. I tell you all the time that uh, 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 the the word apocalypse in Greek means the unveiling. That's kind of interesting because in the before the marriage, uh, uh, there is something called the the unveiling or the veiling sometimes, and the groom um, lifts up the, the, uh, uh, the veil to make sure that the, the girl he's marrying is the girl he's contracted to marry. Uh, uh, this is interesting. 
<laughs> because that lifting up of the veil is essential to the marriage. And the marriage ceremony actually is referred to as the lifting up. That that it's related to the word to forgive sin. Uh, that 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 uh, you're lifted out of the gutter, <laughs> or the sin is lifted from you. Uh, but also, the marriage is called a lifting up. I was utterly intrigued by this because Jesus said, "When I behold, when I am lifted up." Uh, he's talking about Calvary, but he's also talking about the marriage between. Christ in his church, which Calvary represented. This is kind of profound, and I'm I'm going to have to think about it a lot. But all that said, Daniel Rope was just, I think, saying what he may have heard at some place. I, I don't think he would have had the opportunity to consult with Jewish sources in Nazi-controlled France in 1943. Uh, maybe that was the problem. But he, as far as I can tell, I believe he was mistaken, um, which is uh, a little bit chutzpah-esque of me, but I think he was mistaken. And it's a very dangerous thing to be talking about because people will say, well, if it was all right in the Old Testament, the Jews did it, I suppose we can do it too. You know, we're going to get married. We might as well have relations. You may not have relations until you exchange vows in in a wedding ceremony. Um, there must be the exchange of vows um, between bride and groom promising three things. Uh, um, till death do us part, to give your spouse the right to have children, and to be faithful to one another. Until then, to have intimate relations is serious sin. That's that's what we've always believed. It's what uh, our Jewish friends have believed since temple times. It's what Jesus taught. That's what I believe. All right, moving along. More letters. Where are we time-wise? Oh, it's I did a long time on that letter, so we're going to have to take a break. But yeah, uh, uh, the the kiddushin, yeah, that's that's a sanctification. But the lifting up comes under the hupa, and nothing before that. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Thank you, Rabbi Lazovsky. Today, we'd like to thank Domingo, who's listening in California, for donating his BMW. Join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. The ring of fire. It certainly does. The ring of fire. All right, let's go to our word of the day. Very interestingly, uh, this isn't a terribly profound word of the day, but very interesting wordly. In the first reading, we hear about people who are glorying in their shame. Well, the word uh, comes up, the same exact Greek word comes up in the gospel in Luke 16. Uh, now, I. To dig, I am unable. To beg, I am ashamed. I love that. Uh, um, let's see here. Um, uh, let's see. When does he say it? I, well, I, I believe that's the translation. Uh, um, to dig, I am unable. Uh, um, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. <laughs> to dig, we used to translate it to dig, I am unable. To beg, I am ashamed. Well, 
And the word, it, the word is the verb, and it, it related to that word uh, that means disfigured. Uh, well, I was just thinking, as a pastor for many years, I learned to beg and I learned to dig. <laughs> as a pastor, I'll never forget, we were arguing with a, a parish town hall about the best way to put it in an elevator, which we desperately needed. And uh, uh, this guy said, I've been in the building trades for 30 years. And I said, so have I. <laughs> so it's amazing. Whenever I, as a pastor, thought I shouldn't have to worry about all these building projects, um, the Lord would kind of remind me that, well, Jesus was in the building trades for 18 years, so it comes with the territory. So if you're a pastor who has to dig into bag, well, Jesus Jesus did the same. He was supported by, by people who met his needs, and he worked hard. All right, that said, let's go to phone calls. This is smart. Maxwell's smart. Anita from Las Vegas. What can I do for you, Anita? Oh, Father, God bless you. I'm so happy to talk to you. No, I'm, I'm happy to talk to burning you, too. on my mind this, oh, dear. this sermon, today, this gospel today. I, I need your opinion on this. I seem to recall that a lot of mm, stewards or people that worked for rich men had a little pocketbook of their own, like a second, keeping second book. In other words, they knew what the master was supposed to get, but they got like a commission that he didn't know about. So I think they they upped the prices on what the um, the farmers owed. Yes. Now I'm thinking when he knew he knew that he was going to get fired, et cetera, for the and then he couldn't work, et cetera, et cetera. He knew he was going to get fired. So I think what he did is he made he fixed the debt. He made the that's that is one of the theories. That's one of the theories. However, it would still have been dangerous because he was fudging the books. His master would have found out. So well, I thought the master did find out. Well, he did, but he thought, well, hey, you got you got a a for effort. So uh, yeah, it it I I like to think of it as a funny story. I really do because you know, like the unjust judge. Uh, the woman keeps this woman's going to kill me if I don't give her what she wants that everybody knows one. And, uh, uh, you know, the shyster uh, steward, the, 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 the judge who's looking for a little handout, you know, everybody knows one, that kind of thing. Uh, so I think it's a pretty funny story. Yeah, you're right. That's one of the theories that the that the unjust steward was kind of giving them his share and hoping the master wouldn't find out. But the master did. So thank you. That's mm-hmm. good. That's good. Anything else? No, I'm just so happy. Thank you. Thank you. I just really needed your brain on this one. Oh, if I only had a brain, to quote the scarecrow. <laughs> re- re- remember, I'm not a scholar. I just play one on the radio. <laughs> so at any rate, well, thanks thank for listening. You. And I'm honored thank that you, you called. You. God bless you. Who do we have now, dear voice, in my head? Larry from Wisconsin Dells. What can I do for you, Larry? Yeah, I was wondering if you could just explain the difference between praying to the dead and or for the dead, and whether they're saints or our past relatives, if saying that we don't know where they may or may not be. Yeah, well, no, we we pray with them. Jesus said that all, all that I've done and greater will you do. And the idea that we intercede before the throne of God for people um, that that's very biblical and, and, and very real. Um, you know, we're, we're doing what Jesus did. We're, we're interceding for people. And we believe that if we die in the Lord, 
that, um, that we're not dead at all. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, as Scripture says. And, you know, that we, we, we're going on a very ancient custom that goes back to, to temple times of interceding for the dead who are looking for our solidarity. You know, when I stand before God, like I, when I, before any test or anything like that, I'm going to want people with me. And when we pray, we already stand in heaven. I've met so many people who've died and lived tell about it, you know, these beyond and back experience who say they can hear all the prayers of people throughout the world. And, and we're all stand, when we pray, we stand in heaven. So I want to stand with the people I love who've died and, and to join them in, in, in interceding, uh, with the father. It's, you see, this idea of being a family, the early Christians really perceived, um, you know, that, that this wasn't just kind of a, uh, a formal thing, but you know, when there was a martyr, you know, this was, this was uncle Lucius Publius and yeah, we're going to pray for, you know, we believe that he's still with us. You know, I had a very vivid experience once and not a vision. I, I've never had a vision, but it was a very vivid experience at, at my niece's confirmation that her father, who had been a great, a great believer, and my mom and dad and a few people, I could just feel that they were there. Um, and I, I thought that if I turned my head very quickly, I would see them. And of course, it's a very strange experience. I don't have those very often. I do know an exorcist who... Uh, who, who, uh, a person for whom that exorcist was praying said, you know, there's some interesting people here. They claim they're your relatives. In other words, that, that this priest was in a very dangerous position because he's doing spiritual warfare and his relatives who were in glory came to help him. I remember St. Teresa of, of the little flower, St. Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower said when she was asked, what did she intend to do in heaven? She said, I intend to spend my eternity doing good on earth. So this this is not a separation for those who die in the Lord. So remember the word pray simply means ask, and we ask the saints to pray for us. We can even ask dead relatives if they if they die in the Lord reasonably they're not dead. We can ask the souls in purgatory to join us in prayer. The communion of saints does not recognize death. I don't know if that helps at all. Well, it's just a matter of that if someone died, whether they were in the state of grace or not, or maybe they weren't a Catholic, could you still pray or ask them to pray? Because sure. you're not really sure where they may sure. be. Sure. Why not? You know, the Lord works very hard to get us saved. No one wants to get me to heaven or you to heaven or my relatives who I don't think were the best of people. No one wants to get them to heaven more profoundly than our Father in heaven. So it can't hurt. I mean, uh, um, you know, prayer is never wasted. And and if they are not in a position where they can pray for us, well, I'm sure the Lord will hear those prayers anyway that we pray. We're expressing our love for people who've gone before, so I wouldn't worry about it. I hope that helps. Okay? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's just that, you know, my wife and I, we're always debating over um, if you pray to a saint, how do you know if they were doing something wrong and maybe they're not well a, a canonized like saint a canonized saint their lives are their lives are examined pretty closely trust me on that so i don't think you need to worry about that but even if i say you're asking your uncle fred who well he was not always sober but uncle fred if you're there before the lord please 
join me in prayer on this. There's nothing wrong with that because God, God will protect your intention. You know, you can't be legalistic about it. God, God knows your heart and, uh, um, you're not, you're not in any kind of danger because of that. All right. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Thomas from Los Angeles. What can I do for you, Thomas? Good. Uh, hello, Father Simon. Uh, I am um, staring at six pages of, uh, of ballots from California. Oh, good grief. And, um, and I, I, <laughs> I mean, you got judges, you got controllers, you got this, community, co- you know, you can't figure yeah. it all out. But um, so certain ones I'm not voting. I'm trying to vote my yeah. conscience. I'm trying to vote Catholic. Sure. Uh, I found out after I voted uh, for one particular state office, uh, that, you know, I thought I was doing a, you know, let's say a conservative yeah. vote, uh, but the person is pro-choice. And oh. um, do I have to, so the, the question on that one is, do I have to cancel that vote? Or is it I don't better think you can. to vote for someone who's not as bad as the other guy? Is it is it legal in California to cancel a vote once that ballot has been cast? I called up the registrar. Oh, no, no, it's, we have uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, oh. So I called up the registrar. They said, just put an X if you need to, uh, you know, can't, you know, if you voted wrong, just put an X through it and it won't count for that particular. Yeah, vote. you know, you you can do that. You can do that. Um, you know, um, uh, it is very very difficult to, you know, now for me, like for you, uh, this is this is the central issue. I, I paraphrase what Abraham Lincoln said about slavery. Uh, he said, "If slavery isn't wrong, nothing is wrong." Well, I paraphrase it. If abortion isn't wrong, nothing is wrong. And that's precisely the point why they so cling to abortion, because they want to hear nothing is wrong. And that's a terrible way to have a society, because ultimately that means there's no there's no order. So it is a very important issue. Uh, However, let us remember that um, if you make a mistake on the ballot unintentionally, that you're you're not morally wrong. If you can't change it, you know, I would, you know. Uh, and put the X through it, and God willing, it will actually get counted, because these days you never know. Of course, that... And you got to ask also, are both candidates for that pro-choice? Do you have the option to vote for someone who is pro-life? So you may not. In that case, I would vote for neither, actually. Uh, well, I, well, or that, I may that yeah. That's the quibble right there. I mean, do you yeah. is is the standard that we say because it, it almost feels like if you're trying, you know, trying to be a faithful Catholic, yeah, that you're almost left with, well, I can't vote for almost anybody because they're all tainted. Yeah. Yes. Well, what you what you can do, uh, of course, is pick the lesser of the two evils. <laughs> you know, the the one who is less pro-choice. You know that that it takes a little bit of investigation. But until I really knew what someone stood for, I would hesitate to vote for them. Uh, where I live, the ballot is much, much smaller and much easier. So <laughs> I, good luck with that. But uh, God bless you for wanting to vote for life. Um, I think it does. It, it's very important. And, you know, one of the things that most frustrates me about this whole thing is no one is talking about the fact that it is people of color who are mostly the victims of abortion. Um, you know, they, they think that we're conservative, that we're, that we're anti-diversity, all that. On the contrary, you know, that, that I, I don't understand how someone who is an African-American can be 
pro-abortion because it is the African African American community that suffers most greatly. Uh, I mean, think of the doctors and the lawyers and the scientists and and the clergymen and the preachers and the and the singers uh, and and the artists and the the brain surgeons who among the African-American community who have not been born because of this. So it's an important issue. It's an issue of, of fundamental human rights. And it is uh, an issue of, of, of civil justice to, uh, to an oppressed a minority that's been classically oppressed. And I think people need to, to understand that. So God bless you for your effort to, to, to vote for life. And, um, you know, just, do your best and then pray and then uh, then trust God on it. That's the best I can do for you. So we all we all need to pray a lot before Tuesday for wisdom and, and for justice and for truth in the society. All right. Very good. Um, speaking of wisdom, justice and truth. Well, I'm about to hear music in my head, which means Drew is coming up. And he's really a very musical fellow. That's why when I hear music coming up in my head, I think, oh, must be Drew. 